Welcome to the Sermon B-Side Podcast, a podcast of Liberty Church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, a church that desires to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in the Harrisburg region. Sermon B-Sides is designed to be a resource to help us deepen the conversation about this week's sermon and answer questions that would be helpful to accomplish our purpose. Hey, welcome to another B-Side Podcast. My name is John Robinson. I serve as one of the pastors here at Liberty Church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And good morning to you. My name is Matt Luloyan. I serve alongside John here at Liberty Church. And good to be back with you this week for a Sermon B-Side podcast filled with audience questions. <laughs> the crowd goes wild. Yeah, a lot of really good questions. And um, man, Acts 15, a lot of substance, a lot of meat in yeah, there. Yeah, um, yeah. Introduces some important framework. But then, of course, within that framework, leaves a lot of questions. <clears throat> yeah, well, you know, that's the Bible. That is. <laughs> That it is. Isn't that, uh, man, there's like four or five different books that are all called How Now Shall We Live? Yes. Different people have written yeah. over the over the years. Yeah. And that's, that's the question. I, How my now favorite, shall we live? My favorite is Francis Schaeffer's How mm-hmm. Now Shall We Live? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm preferential. So. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's what we got going today. Uh, yeah. After, after a uh, – it it's been a week, Matt. It's been a week. Yeah. Yeah. It, we're um, – yeah, in, in a way that is, I think, really reflective of what we get to be part of yeah. as the people of God in a particular right. local congregation. We, right. um, we buried someone last week. We married someone last week as yeah. a church family. And um, there was something that, you know, was really, um, just for me personally, really meaningful and beautiful about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to see um, a church family gather together for different kinds of occasions, mm-hmm. um, you know. One more somber, of course, and one more overtly joyful, but even in Chuck's funeral last week, getting to see in that and rejoice in uh, the, the great work of God's redemption and salvation mm-hmm. and have uh, hope and joy, even as we grieve the loss of, of our friend uh, mm-hmm. and brother. So, yeah, definitely a full a full uh, yeah. couple weeks we've had, but, uh, but yeah. good weeks. Good weeks. Good weeks. Yeah, it's, um, I think the thing that, uh, I really appreciate about kind of like this week and and what we saw really on display in both of those situations was um, the glory of God and the kindness of his gospel. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, and that's, uh, again, and even coming Sunday morning and hearing Acts 15 and coming to the table is just a continued reminder of like, hey, man, like this is, this is the rhythm. This is the rhythm that we get to be participating in when we open our eyes to see um, the goodness of God in these situations, hmm. um, both ones filled with sorrow and ones filled with joy. Um, the gospel is the motivator in both of these things. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was a, it was a good week, it was a full yeah. week. Um, yeah, it was it – was, it was, uh, we definitely got to experience the kindness of God in a lot of ways this week. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, for those of you guys who are joining with us and, you know, praying for those, those people and the situations that are going on, I really appreciate that. Yeah. But, um, Absolutely. yeah. And so we see, we see really the gospel on display here in, in Acts 15, Matt. Um, Jesus is one church. Mm-hmm. And so let's jump into a couple of these questions that we got. Yeah. Again, thank you. 
Thank you so much for sending these. It in. helps us shape our time. It does. Good. It does. All right. So first question, deference for the sake of community, man. Yeah. What fits in this category? What is the standard? Um, the, the, the questioner asked, I like the quote, the quotation about essentials versus non-essentials, but we still need to know which is which. Yep. Do we simply defer to authority here? Yep. So a lot of questions kind of in one Man. question. And that's Good exactly, questions. that's the inevitable question. So mm-hmm. Acts 15, Jerusalem Council, yeah. defend the gospel, mm-hmm. but defer to things that are not essential to salvation for the sake of community. That's the framework that's introduced. Mm-hmm. Most people can get on board at that with a, at a high level. Sure. Um, we actually see the same thing. It's, it's debated, scholars debate whether... Acts 15 is the same situation as Galatians chapter two, mm-hmm. when uh, it's a very, if it's not the same situation, I, I think it might be, uh, I tend to lean that way, but it, if it's not, it's a very similar situation playing out mm-hmm. in almost in a very similar place over very similar topics. But in that same instance, Paul does go to Jerusalem, meets with the elders uh, and the apostles there. And the, the phrases that show up in Galatians two are um, preserve the gospel perceive the grace. So the elders and apostles perceive the grace that's been given to Paul and to the church there in Antioch or in, mm-hmm. in Galatia in, in Galatians two. Mm-hmm. And, um, but also preserve the gospel. So th- this is the framework that shows up in the new Testament as the church yeah. is, um, is emerging being one new humanity, uh, right. Jews and Gentiles together. But of course this is, and this person's asking the right question. So what's essential, what's not essential. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not going to promise to have a perfect answer on that. Um, I've really appreciated the work done by an author and blogger named Michael Patton. Came across this several years ago, actually, when we were doing a series in Galatians now, seven or eight years ago as a church. Mm-hmm. So going, going pretty far back as far as, as, far as our history yeah. goes. Michael Patton wrote some really helpful stuff on this topic. And he even has this great quote. He puts it this way. He says, there are some things I believe which I would die for. There are some things I believe which I would lose an arm for. There are some things I believe which I would lose a finger for. And then there are some things I believe I would not even get a manicure for. Oh, wow. So he kind of adds some extra grades to to gradations, you know, to um, essentials, non-essentials. How many manicures is he getting? That's a great question. question. I didn't didn't, uh, see that in his... If there's a response option, you should just ask. First question. First question. How how many many manicures? So he has this graphic and this image... Um, and I'll try to track down the, the latest version of this because um, I don't have it in an easily shareable format right now. But uh, a graphic that looks like a bullseye, concentric circles, mm-hmm. the smallest one in the middle kind of working its way outward. And he actually defines seven different layers to kind of this essential, non-essential okay. approach. And I found this really helpful. So here's I'll just, I'll just try to walk through this yeah. as well as we can on a, in podcast format. But at the very center of the bullseye, he would put something he calls essential for salvation. So if you don't mm-hmm. believe these things, you're not saved by Jesus. That would be God exists. Uh, I am a sinner in need of God's mercy. Jesus died on the cross and rose bodily from the grave. Uh, and that faith in Christ is necessary. And it, that is what saves us from our sin. Mm-hmm. Absolute core of essential doctrine apart from these things you cannot experience God's salvation. Okay. That's the core. Layer two he calls essential for historic Christian orthodoxy. So this is what all Christians everywhere have believed. 
um, the authority and the inspiration of scripture. Mm-hmm. You can get into maybe the weeds a little bit there and talking about inerrancy and, and when that specifically was introduced, but certainly the authority sure. and the inspiration of, of scripture. Uh, the Trinity, that there is one God eternally existing in three persons, the Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, eternal punishment for those who are saved by Jesus. That would be mm-hmm. in the second ring called essential for historic Christian orthodoxy. Third ring, essential for traditional orthodoxy. This would include the first two, essential for salvation and historic orthodoxy, uh, but then have differences depending on which major branch, which major tradition of Christianity you find yourself in, mm. uh, Protestant, Roman Catholic, or Eastern Orthodox. So, for example, Protestant traditional orthodoxy is that Scripture is the ultimate authority for all matters of faith and practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, traditional orthodoxy for Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy is not that. It would right. be uh, scripture plus tradition, right. or in the Catholic uh, Roman Catholic case, scripture plus tradition plus what's called the magisterium, the, the mm-hmm. pope and the um, the cardinal's ruling yeah. uh, ex-cathedra. So um, that's the third. The fourth ring, essential for denominational orthodoxy. This is where more differences enter the equation like views of baptism uh, or belief in the continuance or the ceasing of miraculous spiritual gifts. Mm -hmm. That would fit, in, at least in Michael Patton's view, in the fourth ring. The fifth ring now is important but not essential. So he's defining essential here, you know, for salvation and then historic orthodoxy, and then he's getting into the traditions and the denominations. Mm-hmm. But he's still calling those essentials, just kind of degrees of essential. Mm-hmm. Now at five, important but not essential. Uh, and that would be like particulars in the debate about God's creation of the world. So is the earth old? Is the earth young? Are we talking about six literal 24-hour periods of creation? Or are we talking about six distinctive acts of God's creation? There's some, you know some debate about that. Um, there's, how there's debate about that <laughs> just a little bit. Just, okay. Just, just a little bit. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, this is, yeah. This is news to me. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, how often we should celebrate the Lord's supper mm. that's in there. Uh, at least according to his paradigm weekly. Go ahead. No, sorry. Go I'm ahead. a fan. I'm a fan no, of weekly I mean, as well. Yeah. too. I wouldn't lose an arm for that. I might lose an arm for that. I might, I would lose a finger for that. Maybe, finger? I, maybe that's, that's a finger. finger. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I, this yeah. is, this is the new, this is the new paradigm in which we have to look at. What would you lose? What would you lose for this? What would you lose? What would you lose for this? Um, I'd also. Man, I'd manicure for, for that. That's right. <laughs> so also he puts in this uh, important but not essential things like, for example, the account of Jonah in the New Testament. Is yeah. that a historical account or is that a parable? There's certain things in the Old Testament that are absolute historical accounts. Sure. Uh, I would put in that ca- in that category Adam and Eve as well because of the way Jesus refers to them. Mm-hmm. The way Jesus refers to Jonah may be a little more unclear. Like, mm-hmm. it, was it a historical account or was it a parable? I think that's important. I have a conviction on that. and I But Michael Patton here puts it in important but not essential. But he's also not going to share that currently. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Um, not important then, the sixth kind of layer here. Um, he would put this in the not important. Um, do we use real wine or grape juice at communion? You can have a conviction about that. can be informed by scripture. Uh, he would put that in the not important category. And then seven, the, the widest kind of one here, we call pure speculation. Not essential at all. How many angels can fit on the head of a pin? You know, questions um, yes, like this. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Questions like this. So the, the layers there are really helpful for me mm-hmm. because um, – I think it is important to recognize that there are things that are essential for salvation at the very center, but also, um, man, there are reasons. 
There's a reason that the Great Schism happened between the Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church in 1054. There's a reason the Reformation happened where the Protestant Church broke off of the Catholic Church in the 1500s. 1517. 1517. October 31st. Yeah, depending on how you you trace it, right? I mean, that's at least a definitive day in it. But it even goes back further, you know. Yeah, well, yeah. But yeah, the... um, so all of those things, there's reasons for why that happened, including um, the defend the gospel aspect of this. Mm-hmm. So, so some of the ways even these branches have emerged have emerged directly because of defending the gospel, um, and those convictions are important. But that's a really long-winded answer to say what's essential, what's non-essential, mm-hmm. rather than just kind of saying it's it's A or B. I like I like having this bullseye in certain layers and grades of that yeah, where it's okay right. to align within one of these three traditions mm-hmm. and even within a denomination within one of those traditions mm-hmm. and kind of say, hey, to to really run together here in a local expression of mm-hmm. Jesus' church, we do have to be more unified on more things. Yeah. And so we might call those essential for our congregation yeah. to have a way forward, yeah. uh, at least in terms of how we're going to lead here, how we're going to teach yeah. and 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 shepherd here, um, but still having a a broader respect and appreciation for groups that are different on those things, Mm -hmm. but still share that essential for salvation. And and I think the, the tension comes in and this is what we need to navigate. Well, I think as, as Christians, especially in our context in our day is when we take, um, secondary or tertiary issues for salvation and make them primary, right? Mm-hmm. And this is mm-hmm. this is the this is the issue at the Jerusalem Council. This is the issue that we face in our day, where we we're not willing to um, well, we're willing to put way too much into that center bullseye, right? 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 Um, even like that second layer, like for me, like pre- preferentially, like I'm going like I'm going like ah, maybe maybe that maybe that maybe that bullseye is that second layer too, sure. Um, but like when you start getting into like modes of baptism uh you know interpretations of you know is is jonah parabolic or you know or is it is it historical or you know it, there's there's so much that that we go no like you have to you have to have all of these things like you've got to have the whole bullseye yeah before like we're even like we're gonna go yeah no like you're you're one of us yeah you know? That's right, and so like that's that's really where we see we're seeing a lot of a lot of sects of Christianity offshoots organizations put way too much into the essential. Yep, and uh, and the the readiness to divide over over things like that. Like if you're already kind of unified and doing things together, yeah, that's that's different from maybe when you're you know for example. Um, trying to figure out where to land for the first time, you know, like if you're wrestling right, through that, right. if you're, um, or you're, you know, wrestling through conviction changes and things like that. But if you're, if you're doing something together and then all of a sudden now you're adding pieces to what it actually means to be part of, of a community here mm-hmm. uh, and forcing a division to happen there. That's what, like in Antioch, the, the church was doing fine. Like they were figuring it out uh, on the ground. And it wasn't until as verse one says of Acts 15, some men came from Judea and intro and you know, troubled, stirred up the trouble. And said, "Hey, actually, this isn't okay. Yeah. You actually have to do something else, Gentiles, uh, to, in order to actually be to experience salvation. You yeah. cannot be saved unless you do this." It's always the legalist, man. Well, that's the, what's it's it's true. It's um, what's interesting is like 
Uh, I don't know if I recognized before how much th- this, these were actually Christians though. Yes. Um, I, I think in the past, I'd always in my mind gone, those were the Jewish leaders kind of like in the earlier chapters of Acts troubling the apostles. Mm-hmm. And actually now we've, re- we've arrived at Acts 15 in these later chapters. Um, these are actually Christians. Like these are these, some men who came down, I think many of them are people that we will, you know, sit at Jesus's table in his kingdom with. Uh, because sure. they did put their faith in Jesus. They were spreading a false message and they were, you know, confused in their own thinking. But that's where even that, you know, what's essential for salvation and what's not. I think they had the faith that is essential for salvation there present with yeah. them. It doesn't excuse them for teaching a false gospel to uh, the Gentile Christians in Antioch mm. and trying to add something to salvation and what they were proclaiming. Yeah. But in terms of what they were believing, so a, a lot of their, I think, motive and intent was good, sure. um, but but misguided and did a lot of harm. Yeah, yeah, and it needed to be addressed, and mm-hmm. that and that's that's something we see that that did happen uh, because it does it does it does trouble people. There's there's so much of this um, this tension that exists, I think, even in our day, um, on what we what we want to see people believe because those, those beliefs for us have been helpful. Uh, they've, they've maybe been life giving for us. They've, they've saved us from ourselves in many ways. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, so these things, you know, we have certain proclivities towards certain sin, um, sins and, and this, um, you know, this refusal to participate in this thing, is, is absolutely necessary for us, but it doesn't mean that it's necessary for everyone, mm-hmm. right? And so we start putting into the category of um, good and faithful Christian or even just Christian way, way too much, mm-hmm. which is what, I mean, this is this is what Paul talks about when he says, um, in, uh, <clears throat> when he says, like, shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound, mm-hmm. right? So, He's he's putting into this category that like grace is so, um, it's so scandalous, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It really is. Grace is a very scandalous thing to where, um, like you you can be saved, mm-hmm. right? And still like, man, like struggle deeply with things that are, um, that I think you know majority of Christian culture would go like, hey, like that's that disqualifies you, or like were you ever saved? Mm-hmm. Um, Grace is, is, is terribly scandalous. Mm-hmm. And so for us to, um, to, to take that position that God doesn't take, I think is, it can be dangerous, but anyway, that's, that's, a, that's a rant and, nope. and there's, there's more to that, but that's good. um, we've got more questions we need to answer. Yeah, let's do it. Um, second question in the sermon, you spoke about, uh, how for the sake of unity, the Gentiles needed to defer in ceremonial ways, the list of four things. Um, three eating, one of those things being sexual, mm-hmm. uh, to their Jewish background, brothers and sisters, to preserve their conscience. Um, I agree with that deferral of prefer- and preferences are necessary for preserving the unity of the church. So here's the question. Um, when we consider that paradigm, should there be safeguards in place that ensure that we aren't always requiring minority culture preferences to... Uh, have to defer to the majority culture one, right? Mm-hmm. So, in in what 
they're asking here is how how do we navigate requiring um, majority culture expectations? Like, do those majority culture things come in as these essentials and minority culture ones coming in to non-essentials? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's really good. That's a really good question. Um, well, so interestingly, um, you know, because the council takes place in Jerusalem, mm-hmm. it feels like the minority is Gentile and the majority is Jewish mm-hmm. in this situation. And so then they're asking the the Gentile Christians to defer to the Jewish conscience in this mm-hmm. case, which is true that they're at that the, the council's letter and those four prohibitions are asking the Gentile conscience to yield and defer to the Jewish conscience for the sake of mm-hmm. community. But it's interesting because in Antioch, I think by this point, it seems, it seems clear from the clues in acts that actually the majority culture in Antioch was Gentile Christians, right, right. that there were more, they had at, at this point outnumbered and, and outgrown uh, the number of Jewish Christians that were there um, uh, on the ground in Antioch. And then mm-hmm. certainly in these cities that Paul and Barnabas traveled to in their first journey. And now Paul and Silas are about to take off to in their second journey. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's interesting. And I love even the way that this person is thinking, you know, through that where I think actually the prohibitions were more uh, to the majority in um, in Antioch because there were more Gentiles. They were asking mm-hmm. the majority mm-hmm. to defer to the minority mm-hmm. um, and and make a way for the Jewish background Christians to still sit at the table and eat with, mm-hmm. uh, with Gentile background Christians. So, um, but man, that's, that's a difficult question, certainly. I think, um, and this is much more probably complex today than it was 2000 years ago, although I guess in some ways not, because there's been melting pot cities and nations and cultures for at least that many years and longer. Um, in a melting pot kind of culture, it's hard to kind of even get at all of the the aspects of like, well, what is majority culture and what is not? Mm-hmm. Uh, even in the, the history of our nation, you go all the way back to like, okay, well, Native Americans, that was the original culture of America, but then very quickly... Um, Europeans came, colonized America. So then a lot of European kind of culture, Western Christendom was kind of our culture. And then of course, you know, the horror and tragedy of slavery. And so now you've got, um, you know, a massive racial rift that has existed Mm -hmm. in our, so you've got all of these different aspects that, that are part of our culture, Mm -hmm. at least as far as the new Testament goes, as churches are being established um, in each location and even in the history of missions, it does tend to be that, um, well, the, the aim, I think the ideal would be to, you know, preserve the gospel, uh, not just what is essential for salvation, but also that historical orthodoxy. Mm -hmm. And some, maybe, maybe we're into those first two or three rings, according to to Michael Patton's view. Mm -hmm. But then to let that culture shape uh, a ton of the other kinds of um, things that play out there, like music style and, you know, sure. what what do kind of the gatherings of the church look like? And um, does every church need to do um, Sunday morning gatherings exactly like what, you know, what our Sunday morning gathering looks like? No, they don't. Do they need to do, they often do small groups, you know, the way we do them. No. Do they have to, a lot of the things that we do um, from a ministry standpoint uh, are conditioned by our culture mm-hmm. and how we mm-hmm. how we do things. 
uh, worship services, certainly with the music style and the, the yeah. you know, participation or not participation yeah. among but, people in the yeah, church. E- even preaching styles. I was listening to mm-hmm. one of the X29 podcasts recently and they were talking about the, uh, um, like, um, Acts 29 Espanol. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and Chewy out of DC was saying, like, you know, Hispanic cultures really, they want more narrative. Like, they're storytellers. Yep. Yep. They also, that are, you know, and we were, we're, we're more, we're, we're definitely not storytellers, unless you're Steve Huber. <laughs> Steve <laughs> Huber tells stories. Um, but, um, yeah, we have to have points. We, we have sure. to follow a yeah. very linear yep. line. Um, we're more instructional. Like, we're yeah, more like, yeah, very much. yeah, didactic. Yep. Very didactic, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and so, like, but they also, where we would say we probably lean away from a lot of application, like he said, like, they need application. Mm-hmm. So even, like, culturally, you know, we're talking about, we're talking about reformed mm-hmm. um, Protestant mm-hmm. church, planting churches, like, we we have all of these things you know, that we would stack hands on, but there's this underlying culture aspect that mm-hmm. that informs how they even go about their preaching. Yeah, um, and and f- you know probably fair to say their their music's a little more lively. Sure, at least participatory. Participatory and yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean that is certainly not what um, what many people look to the majority of kind of you know Presbyterians for like. Yeah, hey, let's do it like Presbyterians do. It's usually not. It's usually not like participation in worship music. It's like we're you know. We're I mean, not. listen, we've I've seen hands going up. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, we've got. I'm we've thankful got some, for that, man. That's yeah. Are we other? There's a lot of charismatic Presbyterians. Yeah, that's you know. Yeah, and grateful for. That's for right. Those. Yeah. So there's. I I think there is. Um, man, there there is a, a you know a pressure to defer. Um, and, and there is a, there is a way that a majority culture can just assume certain things, um, and not, and just kind of take for granted. Well, like this is just the normal way that we do things. Well, it's yeah. like, well then who's the we and who are the people that don't normally do things that yeah. way? And what is normal? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And that's where I think, man, um, this is where it, it gets really complicated in the essentials, non-essentials because, um, when you get out to that fourth ring in particular, denomination, you know, tradition first, I suppose, Catholic, Orthodox, Protestant, and then denominational within each of those, mm-hmm. there are deep-seated historical traditional convictions for, like, mm-hmm. why we do something the way that we do it. And I think in that there is something really beautiful, not from a majority culture standpoint to say, hey, you defer to us, minority culture. You just defer automatically. But to say there is continuity with the church that has gone before us that has taken some of this, mm-hmm. this tradition and history. And I'm not just talking about our nation's history. I'm talking about, you know, certain aspects of liturgical things and creeds go back to the third century and the fourth right. century right. where it's, where that was a, also a very multicultural and non-white uh, church. So we're right. looking back to tradition beyond Western Christendom and, inv- and inviting people to, to defer historically to some of those things. Um, so I think that's that's an aspect of it, but um, yeah, but where where you kind of get into conversations with people, and, and and there's different philosophies of this, and I'm grateful for them on different fronts. So like uh, a church in our region, for example, like Living Waters, mm. planted specifically to try to to try to find a way to become a melting pot in their church community in that stylistic and um, 
you know, uh, yeah, stylistic kind of approach to how they would do things in a way mm-hmm. that would really reach across some of those lines that have historically existed in our country, mm-hmm. at least racially and ethnically and otherwise. Um, there are other people, including some friends of mine that are church planters here in this region in central Pennsylvania, um, who would say it's, it's okay if because of some of these traditions, if there are churches that are going to be majority black churches and majority white churches, and they would say it's okay. And if we try to force too hard, these churches to merge on things, we actually give up some of what's beautiful about the diversity there separately. Now doing that and then finding a way to still recognize each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that we're not creating a moral superiority or inferiority because of the differences in the way that one church is doing something versus another Mm -hmm. would be really key there. Like even if you're not in the same congregation with people, it really is important to challenge your own gut level heart level convictions to say, is what I'm doing better than what they're doing? Sure. And I think that that's where some of this is really tested in our own hearts is to say, do we really see churches that do things stylistically different from us? Um, do we put like a moral judgment on that? Um, or do we, do we just recognize, Hey, there's actually a lot of, there's a, there's a clear and defense of the gospel in, in that mm-hmm. church congregation. Praise God. There's historic orthodoxy there. Mm-hmm. They are of a different denomination and they've got different things that they're mm-hmm. that are important to them. And we can yeah. rejoice in that, even if we're not um, in the same yeah. congregation. So that's where the yeah. complexity of some yeah. of this comes in. I, I don't know if we ever say like better. I think the, th- the thing that the internal narrative that continues to happen is, is we, we will put it on a moral qualification. We, we're more faithful. Here. Sure. We're more faithful in this. Yep. Uh, more historically accurate, whatever it is. Like, so I think those are, those are great, you know, questions to ask yourself. Um, yeah. As you're, as you're kind of like, you know, do you sit in judgment of other congregations? That's right. Um, and I think that's where, so I would, I would, this is a great question. So how do we, how do we navigate deference? And I would, I would put it back to, there's the one level at which John, you and I and other leaders and elders of, and deacons of churches need to be constantly thinking about, where are we uh, physically? Where has God determined our time and place? Who's around us? Mm-hmm. Are we faithfully sharing the good news of Jesus here in the place that God has us? Yeah. Or are we just kind of plugging and playing, you know, exactly what we've, what some, what has been effective or worked somewhere else? Yeah. Are we reaching people that are actually here in our mm-hmm. own, in our own region? Um, and then of course that's, that's kind of a leadership aspect of it personally for all of us, all Christians, are we, um, pursuing fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ in the place right. that we live. Right. It may be convictionally wise, and this certainly has happened here at Liberty over the years, um, where we find that, okay, some of these convictions that are really significant to us lead people to worship in different places, uh, different denominations, different, you know. Um, but do we still say, but I still recognize them as my brother and sister in Christ. My table and my home is still open to them, even though I'm not mm-hmm. maybe seeing them as often just functionally, you know. But um, that's where it's to say, find ways even in your personal life to defer to one another, to to pursue peace with one another, to show honor to one another in a way that even though we are, you know, divided, you know, we're in factions as Jesus's church experientially right now, find ways to demonstrate that actually positionally Jesus has one church still. Yeah. And, and even if we're going to worship in separate congregations, we see ourselves as part of Jesus's one church. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's uh, 
Some of this last question. Yeah. Right? Yep. Uh, can you address the difference in racial reconciliation that we see here in this passage versus how the world and even the church goes about it today? Um, not sure about the direct correlation, but it seems like there could be something applicable for us there in, yeah. in this passage. Yeah. Well, certainly, um, certainly, I mean, Acts and the the one church consisting of Jews and Gentiles. I mean, that is a massive racial barrier that Jesus is breaking. So I think um, the way that uh, the way that reconciliation happens here, which I think is is so central and needed, especially for the church, um, I think this is the only way that's possible. But the church already believes this. So the church has to lead in this. That reconciliation only happens through Christ. I mean, Gentiles are included, uh, Jews are included because of the grace of God through the finished work of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. and then our belief in that. So that Ephesians 2 passage about Jesus in his own body, in his own flesh, uh, takes down the dividing wall of hostility that exists and makes one new humanity mm-hmm. out of the out of the many, uh, that he himself is our peace. So apart from that, and that's how revolutionary this was for Jews and Gentiles, the Gentiles would have had to become Jewish, essentially, right. in order to right. be part of the people of God and experience God's salvation. They would have had to circumcise their males. They would have had to culturally take on the ceremonial law and mm. become Jewish in many ways. Right. Um, and so, so the gospel actually opens up the door wide for diversity. Mm. It's not that, and this is, this is unique to Christianity. So like if you go to places in Africa, places in the middle East, um, places in Europe now where uh, there's been increasing growth of Islam and there's a larger Muslim population. Um, there's a, in many senses, it's uh, Islam is not nearly as culturally flexible right. as Christianity right. is. If you if you want to become a Muslim, your life and practices, and if you're Orthodox, you, you know, and many of your practices, your dress, all that stuff, you will essentially um, you will be contextualized to like a sixth or seventh century Middle Eastern culture. Right. Um, that's some of the law. That's some of the, like all of that. Right. Mm-hmm. Christianity, because what the gospel is opens up that door wide to say, man, there is a, there is an essential core that is required for salvation, mm-hmm. but cultures can also be redeemed and, br- mm-hmm. and, and not eradicated yeah. and brought into faithful expressions yeah. of the gospel, which is yeah. beautiful, uh, which is beautiful. So um, I think that's what we see as far as racial reconciliation goes in this passage is that there, um, there are aspects of every culture, um, you know, which of course, you know, every, um, every race and ethnicity and the culture that comes with that, um, that are, that are, you know, embraced and redeemed through the finished work of Christ to mm. be celebrated, yeah. uh, to be celebrated. Um, I guess where our, our world and our church even at times goes about doing that today is that it, it, it tries to, um, it always does in one way, shape or form assign a hierarchy to that. Like this one is better than that is above that one. Right. And so like what we've seen in our country for many years, it's like, okay, well, um, white European culture is better than black culture or, or, or whatever. And so now the answer is like, well, let's just flip that around. Like we recognize that's been wrong, recognize that's done a lot of damage. Um, so let's just flip that around. Now white culture is bad and, Mm -hmm. and minority culture is, is good. And where that just is always going to fall short is, it's, it's not looking through the lenses of the gospel that says in every culture, it's not just about which one is bad and which one is good. It's like in every culture, what do we 
receive. Mm -hmm. This is just a good gift of God that's part of that culture. We receive it. Mm -hmm. uh, what can be redeemed in that culture? Mm -hmm. This is not maybe exactly faithful to Christ as it is, but it can be redeemed. Mm -hmm. And then what if every culture needs to be rejected? Right. And if you look at each and every culture that is brought by each and every different kind of racial or ethnic group, you have to bring that paradigm to all of them all the time sure. and not just kind of categorically go, well, yeah, like white majority culture has been damaging in these ways. So let's flip that around. Now, everything that white majority culture suggests is suspect mm -hmm. and everything minority culture suggests is now good. You mm -hmm. know, it's like no, we, we have to bring that grid to, to all cultures all, all the time. Hmm. Okay. That's good. Yeah, I think I think man, these are these are good questions. They're I mean, obviously, you know, even getting into some of these answers. Um hopefully we're giving you some framework to think about that. Um there's not there's not we're not gonna get down into the specifics of like um wear Nikes and not Reeboks, you know, shop it at uh, Aldi and not Giant. So like those are not those are not some of the, the distinctive nature of, of what we want to get to. But we want to definitely provide a, a framework for you guys to think through some of those things. So thank you for sending those questions in. Matt, good content. Uh, appreciate your work yesterday. Um, yeah, I think the thing that, that I'll, I'll close with, last thing I'll say is um, your three categories I thought were really helpful. I love, I love hearing that. Um, in essentials, unity and non-essentials, liberty and all things charity. And so I think mm -hmm. that's, that's just a, that's a helpful reminder for us as we, as we think about how we uh, navigate the world in which we live and uh, try to be faithfully present in it. So, yeah. And that's where I'd encourage you to, to jump in, in your Bible study groups this week. Um, you know, if assuming that everyone's kind of coming in with this high level agreement, yeah, we got to defend the gospel. We got to defer on certain things. The obvious question, what do we defer on? <laughs> yeah. um, how does that play out? I would jump in and use that paradigm. You know, mm -hmm. the in essentials, unity, non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. See where that kind of goes. See if there's any particular tension points that people in your group are feeling about that right now. Mm -hmm. um, but certainly the all things charity, if I can just say something about that again to close, that is so necessary in this moment culturally right now. Absolutely defend the truth of the gospel. Absolutely uh, die on the hills that are essential to salvation, and even in some ways the ones that are essential to historic Christian orthodoxy. Um, but do that in a way that that actually reflects that this is a gospel of grace. Like mm -hmm. we we have to engage graciously with people. The the means um, has to match the message. You know, there has to be a, a, a correlation there. Yeah. Uh, and so in all things, charity matters greatly. And actually seeing yourself as part of Jesus as one church, actually, hmm. you know, that, that might challenge some people and rub some people the wrong way. Like saying, okay, what do I do with, with Catholic men and women or Eastern Orthodox men and women? Hmm. Not at all diminishing that there are important distinctions and I have disagreements with them that I put in a pretty important category there. Mm -hmm. um, but broadening out your perspective to say like, how many churches does Jesus have? He's got one. So how do we relate to people that come from these different different backgrounds and tribes? Hmm. Hmm. That's good. Guys, thanks again for sending those questions in. And uh, we hope you have a good time this week in your, in your Bible study groups. And we will catch you again next time. See you.